resiliency is the name of the game right now for the Colorado Avalanche. And what we saw Thursday night in Dallas was just another addition, another episode in a long season of the Avalanche kind of, let's say, crapping the bed in the second period, whether it's a bad period or whether it's a so-so period, and then coming out strong in the third. We saw it against the Dallas Stars, obviously. We saw it against the New York Islanders. We saw it against Nazem Kadri and the Calgary Flames many weeks ago in that game where Georgiev was taking uh, taking swipes at Naz. But I want to talk about that Dallas game and just how well the Avalanche kind of were able to pull off that victory. Of course, before I do that, you are listening to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast. I am Eric Dean of Mile High Sports. This podcast is presented by Superbook Sports, our longtime sponsors here on the show. So I want to talk about a few things, and I want to give Jared Bednar credit for one thing specifically that he did to this team over the last few games that has kind of flown under the radar. And it is to the credit of a specific player. But he took Valerian Nachushkin off of that line with Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon and instead slotted Jonathan Drouin up there, placing Val, and God bless him for, you know, being a trooper and kind of going along with this, on the second line along with Check's Notes, Ryan Johansson and Miles Wood, obviously soon to be Arturi Lekanen, but... Val Nichushkin jumping down to the second line has given the Avalanche a weapon on multiple lines. And again, Val is the type of guy that can drive his own line. But the only reason why the Avs were able to do that and do it knowing very well that you're not sacrificing much from the top line is because of the elevated play of Jonathan Drouin. Against the Dallas Stars, he had two goals. He played 24-57. He was a plus two. He had four shots on goal. He was all over the ice. Power play, he played a lot. Penalty kill, he doesn't play at at all, but his two-way game has been exceptional lately, and I can't stress enough how much Jonathan Drouin has grown on me. But just by having Val on that second line, the Avalanche have two options to give you or to put against you to attack you. Val in the last 11 games has nine goals and six assists for 15 points. He's three back of Sebastian Ajo for the second most points in these last three week stretch. And I know it's just like a random sample size. I was just looking at some stats since that Buffalo game a few weeks ago. And uh, it came up Val Nachushkin fourth most points in the NHL with 15 trailing third place Nikita Kucherov with 17 Second place, Sebastian Ajo with 18. I'm purposely leaving first place out of the question right now or out of the equation because I want to talk about him separately. But this is happening for Val in a season and in a way where we're seeing him kind of playing on the top line, playing on the second line, playing on the top line, not playing on the top line. But he's playing a lot of minutes regardless because he is on that top power play unit with McKinnon, Ranton, and Druin and McCarr. He's playing a ton of shorthanded ice time. He does so well with him and Miles Wood. They had a couple of opportunities the other day. Just, you know, he's just, he's all over the ice. He's healthier than we've seen since the cup final. And I would obviously say specifically the earlier parts of the cup final before he broke his foot and had to drag himself through Amelie Arena to even play game six. So just by having Jonathan Drouin do what he's doing, the Avalanche now have two lines with weapons. Obviously adding Arturi Lekin in, in the future, will help with that second line. But let's go back to that Dallas game. 
Jonathan Drouin scores two big goals, and I think the game-changing goal for me is that quick retaliation from Drouin where he took that Jack Johnson shot and redirected it. Or sorry, the... Yeah, yeah, the Jack Johnson shot, the second goal he scored, and redirected it with this like outlandish redirect right above the shoulder of Scott Wedgwood into the top corner of the net to make it four to three. Just 38 seconds after Tyler Sagan gave the Dallas Stars a commanding, or you know, commanding in in the scenario of which was playing out, a commanding two two goal lead, four to two lead, with less than 11 minutes remaining in regulation. Just a huge, high IQ. No guts, no glory, resilient type of goal for Jonathan Drouin. And it was his second of the game after scoring that power play goal that was assisted by Taves and McKinnon with 12 seconds left in the second period. Also a big goal. It got the avalanche within one. So Drouin did that twice yesterday. I do want to say Jack Johnson deserves a lot of credit because if there's something that guy's been doing a lot of this season, it's every opportunity he gets, he throws the puck on the net. He's been doing it all year. He's up to seven assists now, which is pretty wild because we're only 39 games in. You know, now we're talking about Jack Johnson is averaging around, you know, on pace for more than 20 points, I want to say now. Uh, And I'll double check that here in a second. But that Jonathan Drouin tip coming after the goal that he scored earlier was the game changer. It gave the Avs the life they needed after going down by two goals again. And I just double-checked my work. Jack Johnson's got two goals, seven assists, nine points in 39 games. So he's on pace for right around 20 points, which is pretty damn good for a guy that a season ago had eight total points in 83 games, nine in the cup year, one in 13 games in the year before, 11, 13, 11. He hasn't hit 20 points since the 2016-17 season. Jack frickin' Johnson in 2024, ladies and gentlemen. And he's doing it playing 14.50 a game which is nearly three minutes less than his ice time with the Avs last year, not with the Blackhawks. With the Blackhawks, he was playing almost 20, but with the Avs last year, he played 17-32. He's playing 14-50. So shout out to him. He's throwing everything on goal. So Drouin scores that goal. It gives the Avalanche life, and it sets up that last 10 minutes where the Avalanche are just kind of trying to pour it on, create some kind of uh, consistent effort, and the Dallas Stars are bringing it back to them and giving it back to them. And they did everything they possibly could until... Miko Rantanen deflects off of his skate or whatever on that play with Logan O'Connor McCart. I have no idea what Scott Wedgwood was doing on that play. My goodness. He was flailing the 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 whistle before, the play before he was flailing all over the ice. He kind of jumped backwards, very Dominic Hashik like. Um I haven't watched a lot of Scott Wedgwood. I know his stats are pretty good as a backup goalie over the last three, four years. Um, ever since that year where they had Hudobin and then Wedgwood came in and kind of took the job in Dallas as the number two goalie, but he was kind of flailing about, but the avalanche earned that goal because of a hardworking shift from Kale McCarr, who on one end of the ice really stands toe to toe with a shooter who was coming into the zone and blocks a shot and has a pretty long shift, eventually gets back into the offensive zone, throws it on goal. There's a deflections. You got Scott Wedgwood flying in for some reason. He's up and down the ice. And Logan O'Connor gets a piece of it. Miko Rantanen eventually scores his 20th. So Rantanen scores that goal. And then in the overtime period, we saw the Avalanche kind of have a couple of good opportunities. We saw Georgiev make a pretty dang solid save there. He was really big there. And late in the third, he was big as well. So what we're seeing from Georgiev this year is kind of like a Grant Furish type of goaltender performance. The goalie of the Edmonton Oilers back in the 80s, for those that are unaware. Um, 
in the sense where his save percentage, his goals against average aren't great. But when you need the big save, he's kind of given it to you lately. You know, not all season, but lately, Arizona game aside, where he lost his freaking mind after the game, after blowing that four-goal lead. Thank God I haven't done a podcast since then. I uh, But he's really been giving you those big saves when you need them. And when you're down four to three, and when you're in overtime, and when you're trying to tie the game later, win the game in OT, he made the saves he needed to save. So shout out to Gorgie for that. I'm not even going to get into the whole goaltending situation. I'm going to save that for the next podcast. Uh, but the dude's going to need some breaks. Uh, it's actually pretty wild that he's played this much hockey lately. Uh, but that's the story, like I said, for the next episode. Um, going back to that overtime, I do obviously want to touch on the game-winning goal. Uh, I can't believe it's been you know eight, nine minutes I've been sitting here blabbing. I haven't talked about Nathan McKinnon yet. But before I do, I'm going to blab about somebody else for another minute or two. And that's Devon Taves. Plays his man to the T just exceptionally well. Takes Jason Robertson, who looked like he was coming in on a two-on-one, kind of forces him toward the board, uh, literally pressures him once. Then a second time. The second time he's able to poke the puck away after poking it away once already. And then he's able to pitch it up to McKinnon. And then just a high IQ play from McKinnon as well to use the boards to get around the defender, which I believe was Tyler Sagan was the last man back. And then goes in on a 2-1-0 breakaway, takes a look behind him, seizes Devon Taves. It could have been freaking Wayne Gretzky himself trailing Nathan McKinnon. Nate ain't passing that puck. Goes in and shoots low blocker like Nate is, uh, you know, popular and famous to do. And scores his 22nd of the year. Ties Nikita Kucherov for the most points in the NHL as of the evening of January 4th with 64, 11 more than second or than third and fourth place because obviously him and Kucherov are one and two or two and one, whatever you want to say. And gives the Avalanche their, I believe, fourth straight victory and also his second consecutive game where he scores the game-winning goal in overtime. This is a wild stat Brendan McNicholas of the Avalanche PR department put out. Uh, Raise your hand if you remember the name Greg DeVries. I do, so my hand is raised. Stanley Cup championship defenseman from 2001. The Avalanche that year, they had a top six. Uh, I don't remember the pairings off the top of my head, but Bork, Foot, and Blake were their top three. And then Clem, Skula, and DeVries. John Clem, Martin Skula, and Greg DeVries were their bottom three. Well, Greg DeVries, this defenseman from way back when, was the last player on the Avs. All the guys they've had in this lineup over the last 21 years. All the forwards they've had in this lineup over the last 21 years. All the offensive defensemen they've had in this lineup over the last 21 years. Greg DeVries is the last guy in franchise history to have the overtime winner in two consecutive games for the Colorado Avalanche. And just to kind of give you an idea of what kind of career Greg DeVries had, he played 878 games in his career. He had 48 goals. The season where he scored the overtime winner in two straight years was his most offensively gifted, well, most offensive production, I should say, season that he had with the Avs, and it was 32 points, and it was six goals. But in the time that he was here, he was a good two-way defenseman. You know, he uh, he gave the Avalanche, not two-way, sorry, more of a defensive-minded defenseman. He gave the Avalanche big minutes in some of those years. Like in 2002 and uh, the year after the Cup, he played 23.02 per game. And in 2003, he played 22-15 per game, and he had 20 points and 32 points. He was always a plus 15, plus 18, whatever. 
This guy that I'm explaining to you, and I kind of wanted to go a little bit deeper into him just to get an idea. This is the guy that last scored two consecutive overtime game-winning goals in a row for the Colorado Avalanche in the regular season. So just a mind-boggling stat. And Nathan McKinnon, obviously, against the New York Islanders, gets that vicious, I want to call it, overtime winner where he just completely whacks the puck on that one-timer into the back of the net like he's angry, which he probably was because he always is. And he does it with this extra McKinnon oomph to it. And then he comes in the next game and finishes off that high IQ play that started on the stick of Devon Taves. So just a great game all around. Because of that game, the Avalanche are now 2-0 against the Dallas Stars, the team that everybody's saying is their competition in that division. You know, I don't want to downplay what the Winnipeg Jets are doing. But Dallas is the team coming in that everybody talked about. And the Avalanche are 2-0 against them, knowing that they have gotten the two games in Dallas out of the way. And the next two in February and in April will be at Ball Arena, where the Avalanche are, checks notes, 16-4. and Just an outlandish, crazy good home record. No other team has 14. The Rangers are 13-5. and So when they get to 20 games, they can the best they can be is 15 and 5. The Vancouver Canucks are 14-4 and 1. The Avalanche have 16 wins at Ball Arena. Just an exceptional season so far for the Avs at home. Y'all have been treated to some great hockey if you've been going to some of these games. So the Avs win that game against the Stars. They're 2-0 against the Stars. They've kind of built a little bit of a cushion over them in the standings now with a four-point lead on them. Granted, the Dallas Stars have two games in hand. I will say, by the way, this whole uh, games in hand thing, as much as it's been nice the last three, four years to look at the Avs and be like, hey, they're one point back or they're two points up or X, Y, Z points up or down, and they have two or three games in hand, it is so nice to talk about it in the other way because this means the Avalanche's March and April isn't going to be as taxing as other teams like it has been in years past. Not that the March and April isn't going to be taxing. All the NHL kind of ramps up in those two months. But just the fact that the Avs have played 39 games, which is tied for the most in the Western Conference, and some teams like the Edmonton Oilers and LA Kings, two teams aspiring to make the playoffs and make long runs, have played four fewer games than that, means that in the second half of the season, those two teams are going to play four more games, and they're probably going to play in the same amount of days as the Avs, four more games, Before the playoffs, closer to the playoffs, I prefer it this way, believe it or not. Well, I prefer it this way when the Avalanche are the team that they are where you're not really worried about them making the playoffs because if the Avalanche were a wildcard team and the team below them was one fewer point and had like four games in hand, yeah, you kind of like it the other way around. But knowing the Avs, who they are in the regular season is just kind of something you got to get out of the way before you get to the playoffs where you know you'll be. I prefer it this way where they play a little more hockey in the beginning so that their schedule is a little more evened out. So they got that four-point cushion on the Dallas Stars who are in third. They only got a one-point cushion on the Winnipeg Jets, and man, do they look good. The Winnipeg Jets are freaking great this year. Uh, And the Winnipeg Jets have two games in hand, so they can be as much as three points up on the Avs. Uh, And the Jets are also 8-0-2 in their last 10, also winners of their last four, just like the Avs. So they don't seem to be slowing down. And what I like about what the Jets are doing is they're pretty consistent both at home and on the road. The Avs are 16-4 at home. They've won less than half their games on the road. They're 9-7-3. and 
The Jets are 13-5-2 at home. Pretty good. They're 11-4-2 on the road. Pretty damn good. And same with the Dallas Stars. They're 12-6-2, 10-4-3. But, you know, that 12-6-2 and and part, one of the sixes and one of the twos, is at the hands of the Colorado Avalanche. So pretty good for the Avs there. So the Avs look pretty good in the standings right now. We are now 16 minutes in. Let's talk about Nate the Great. Nathan McKinnon has been playing like a man possessed. I don't know how many seasons in a row we're going to do this because it's happened to me for the last four or five years where every year you say this is the Nathan McKinnon you want to see for the rest of his contract or the rest of his career, and then he comes out and one-ups it and does better. I don't know how this guy keeps freaking doing it. He's got 64 points in 39 games. Let's spit out some numbers for you. He has played 32 fewer games than last year. And he's on pace to mop the floor with the point production he had last year. And last year, he had 111 points in 71 games. The good old plus 40, where 71 games to 111. That's how I calculate things. I like to calculate the plus. Connor McDavid had 153 in 82 games, a whopping plus 71. That's the way I like to look at stuff. Nathan McKinnon was a plus 40 last year. He's already a plus 25 in terms of points toward games this year, and he's not even halfway through the season. Now, last year, he played 71 games out of 82. In 2022, the year they won the Cup, he played 65 out of 82. In 2021, he played 48 out of 56. In 2020, he played all 69, I believe, but he was kind of in and out of the lineup in the playoffs. But what I love about the Nathan McKinnon we are seeing this year is this is the first calendar year since 2019. I'm talking about 2023, the one that ended five days ago. Since 2019, this is the first calendar year where Nathan McKinnon was healthy the entire way. He made his comeback against the Toronto Maple Leafs on December 31st of 2022, last year in that season, New Year's Eve. He was terrible in that game, like he always is when he comes back from injury. But then he ramped it up, picked it up, had an exceptional ending to the season, pretty good playoff, comes into this season, Casual 22 goals, 42 assists, 64 points in less than half a year. Just wild, mind-boggling numbers. And the craziest part about this year is in the first 10 games, he had 9 points. In his last 29 games, Nathan McKinnon has 55 points in 29 games. Let's put that into perspective. If the Avs have a second-line center that gives him 55 points over 82 games... They're winning a cup every other year. If Ryan Johansson gave him 55 points in a full season, they'll probably win the cup this year. Nathan McKinnon did that in 29 games. Just barely over one-third of a season. Like, we got to wrap our heads around what that number means. 55 points in 29 games. The year that the Avalanche were last place in the NHL, he played all 82 games. He had 53 points. The year before that, in 2016, the last year with Patrick Waugh, he played 72 games. He had 52 points. 2014-15, he had a sophomore slump. He had 38 points in 64 games. His rookie season, he played all 82 games. We all fell in love with the kid, Nathan McKinnon, five game winning goals. Plays in that first game was the game where Patrick Waugh brings the roof down on Bruce Boudreau and the Avalanche whooped the Anaheim Ducks 6-1 to and he scores some big goals and he breaks a Wayne Gretzky record as a point streak for rookies and he does all these crazy things, 63 points in 82 games. 
he has 55 and 29. He's three points away from averaging two points a game over the last 29 games. That's more than two months of hockey. So it is just outlandish stuff. You take the fact that he's got 64 and 39, 55 in his last 29, and you dig a little deeper into it and you go back to those stats that I was talking about earlier where I wouldn't mention number one, where we had Valeri Nichushkin, who had 15 points in his last 11 games over the last three weeks, and Nikita Kucherov, who had 17 and 10, and Sebastian Ajo, who had 18 and 10. And then you got good old Nathan McKinnon. 10 goals, 15 assists, 25 points in 11 games. Yes, that deserved a pause. 25 points in 11 games is ridiculous. That's a Connor McDavid type of thing. And that's a thing that Connor McDavid doesn't do all the time. But when he does it, we all applaud it. We all lose our minds because you're not supposed to produce that many points. And he's doing it at a time where the other day I was thinking, man, Miko Rantanen has really slowed down. And then I looked at the numbers. Miko Rantanen has seven goals and seven assists in his last 11 games. That's pretty damn good. Because when you're producing at that kind of rate over an 11-game stretch, that's an average of 52 goals and 52 assists over a full season. Pretty much what he did last year. But the reason why Miko Rantanen feels like he's slowing down is because he's 11 points behind Nathan McKinnon. That means Miko Rantanen could have added one point to every single game, and that's what he would have needed to reach Nathan McKinnon. Miko Rantanen needed to be a point-per-game player better than a 104-point pace player that he already has been over the last 11 games just to equal what Nathan McKinnon has done over the last three weeks. Nathan freaking McKinnon, ladies and gentlemen, is the Hart Trophy favorite far and away. I know there are some critics that are going to say that you got to give it to Nikita Kucherov, and there are people that are going to mention Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr and this guy and that guy. Obviously, you're going to mention Connor McDavid because he can kind of turn it on and do what he's doing. But if Nathan McKinnon is giving you 64 points in 39 games, 55 in his last 29, 15 in his or 25 in his last 11, Connor McDavid's going to have to put 40 points up every week just to pass this guy. Nathan McKinnon is a man possessed. He's healthy. He's playing out of his mind. He takes care of his body, as we know, better than any other player that I've seen or worked with over these last five years or have heard stories of over the last 20 years even that I've been a hockey guy. And he's doing it on a team where he is required to play nearly 23 minutes a night this season because they don't have the depth they always have had. And I don't want to get into that conversation now because it's January 5th. We're a little over two months away from the trade deadline and there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about as we get closer to there but right now we truly genuinely have to appreciate what Nathan McKinnon is doing for the Colorado Avalanche and how over the last dating back to 2017 the only teams that have had the Art Ross Trophy winner have been the Oilers and the Lightning in Kucherov and in uh, uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid Nathan McKinnon could win the Art Trophy for the first time in his career. And he could do it in a season where Connor McDavid is still in his prime. And uh, and uh, guys like Kucherov are, put, are still putting up points the way that they have in recent history. And those are the two guys. Well, those are two of the three with Leon Dreisaitl, who also has one mixed in there. That have won, let's see, 2017, Connor McDavid, 2018, Connor McDavid, 
2019, Nikita Kucherov. 2020, Leon Dreisaitl. 2021, Connor McDavid. 2022, Connor McDavid. 2023, Connor McDavid. It's pretty crazy that kid has five of them since 2017. So he's got five of them. Nikita Kucherov has won. Leon Dreisaitl has won. The last time a winner, somebody won the Art Ross that didn't play for the Edmonton Oilers or the Tampa Lightning was one Patrick Kane, currently of the freaking Detroit Red Wings, which is still wild and crazy to see. In 2016, he won it with the Chicago Blackhawks. And before that, it was Jamie Benn, but we're not going to talk about how freaking weird that hockey season was that year. So Nathan McKinnon has a big chance to win the Art Ross Trophy this year. In my opinion, he is the Hart Trophy favorite. Um, so shout out to him. Shout out to uh, Val Nachushkin, who I've been riding the Val train for a very long time. And he is far and away one of my favorite players to watch on the ice because he is a bull out there. He is a new age power forward and he's a two-way forward. And I think he should get consideration for the Selkie Trophy, even though wingers don't win that award and haven't since Yuri letting in when I was a kid. So the Avs are playing great right now. Kale McCarr still doing his thing. Devon Taves, I talked about that high IQ play he made earlier. He has been pretty damn good lately. He's got points in six straight, or sorry, seven straight games. He's got eight points in those seven games. He's picking it up. Sam Gerrard's back in the lineup. But first, before I get into kind of more of the updates from practice this morning, Friday, the optional before the game against the Panthers on Saturday, which you guys are hopefully listening to this on the way to the Panthers game. Uh... I do want to tell you guys about our sponsors over at Superbook Sports. We are changing the game. Win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. So it's mile space high. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get 250 bucks, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I do want to get into some of those updates here for the season, or sorry, for the uh, current Avs. We saw Arturi Lekkinen skate at practice this morning on Friday. Jared Bednar said he's getting closer to taking contact. Obviously, he's been in a red non-contact. Today, he was in a regular sweater, but as an optional skate, doesn't really matter as much. He's getting a little bit closer to taking contact, which is awesome. Arturi Lekkinen has been gone for so long that he was injured two games before Yoel Kiviranta signed his contract. So that's how long he's been out. It's been a while, man. Arturi Lekin has played 12 games. He has missed 27. He has already missed a third of the season. Bowen Byram got hurt against the Dallas Stars, left the game, did not return with a lower body injury. Jared Bednar says they're still evaluating him, but he will be missing the Florida Panthers game. By the way, 2 p.m. at Ball Arena on a Saturday. I fucking love those games. I absolutely love those matinee games. There was one a couple years ago against the Pittsburgh Penguins in the cup year. There was one against the Edmonton Oilers last year where the Avalanche raced a 3 to nothing deficit and won. Man, they had one against the St. Louis Blues, the one where Jordan Binnington uh, lost his mind one of the many, many times. I absolutely adore those games. They are the best. The vibe, the energy at the rink, getting home at 5 or 6 p.m., it's just so great. So I'm excited for that. Unfortunately for Bowen Byram, he will not be there for that game. 
The Avalanche did call up Ben Myers this morning on Friday. He was sent down on Thursday prior to that game against the Dallas Stars. Curtis McDermott entered the lineup, but I'm guessing they're going to probably want to play Myers against the Florida Panthers. We will see. They are a little bit of a rough team, so we'll see if McDermott gets the call instead or gets the nod instead. Uh, you got Caleb Jones, who's been a healthy scratch, I believe, so I'm assuming he will come in and Sam Malinsky will stay down, or maybe they'll call up Malinsky. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but uh, no Bowen Byram. I would assume that means... We see Gerard play with Josh Manson and then Jack Johnson play with Caleb Jones, most likely on the third pair. Speaking of Josh Manson, how about that guy lately? He has been unbelievable. He has been a physical force. I talked to him outside of the dressing room on New Year's Eve and kind of asked him, like, where's his physicality been the last few weeks and or last few months even? You know, he was injured last year and he said he's just feeling great now and feeling better than ever and you know, that's kind of been the common theme this year. You know, there's a reason why when we look at the issues the Avalanche have with their depth, I look at it with a lot more of a positive light than a season ago. It's because this year really does feel like they're a, a move away from being a complete team. And, you know, it's that second line center position or however you want to shake it a forward to be able to move Colton to the wing or whatever. Um, it's because of guys like Val Nachushkin, it's because of guys like Josh Manson being healthy and playing the way that they're playing. You want to see more. I know he's hurt now, but you want to see more from Bowen Byram. He's kind of having his sophomore slump in his fourth year because his first three years were his rookie year and <laughs> all in one go because he didn't play a lot of hockey. Um, it's been great to see him healthy to this point. Obviously, it's unfortunate he's now out with a lower body injury, but keyword is lower. It's got nothing to do with, with his head or the concussion issues he's had in the past, which is good news. Um. But seeing Josh Manson playing the way he is, seeing Val Nichushkin playing the way he is, obviously McKinnon, obviously Rantanen, obviously McCarr, obviously Taze, it really makes you feel good about this Colorado Avalanche team heading into the trade deadline. It is an exciting, exciting time. I know this is not the 2022 team, but you know what? No team in the NHL is a 2022 team. I think a lot of Avalanche players have a tendency to constantly try to compare themselves to that team and it just it doesn't work it really truly doesn't because nobody is as deep as that team was if that team still existed they win the stanley cup again this year they win the stanley cup last year they beat the vegas golden knights of dallas stars the seattle kraken you name it that team does not exist anymore but the reality is to win another cup or two or three you don't need a team as good as that 2022 team you really don't and that's the thing that I think a lot of fans need to wrap their heads around. But seeing a healthy Josh Manson, seeing a healthy Val Nichushkin, and seeing what Val is doing, what Manson's doing, what Makar Taves, Rantanen, McKinnon, what these guys are doing, having the depth you do. I know Ross Colton hasn't panned out quite yet to what you want. And Miles Wood hasn't had the point production, but he's been a bull lately. Shout out to that guy. Holy shit, he's been great. Logan O'Connor's doing his thing. Cogliano's still doing his thing. Kivarant is a good depth forward. Olofsson's a good depth forward. You finally have that depth you didn't have last year where you had freaking Newhook and Malgin on your third line. Matt Nieto, come on. Just an upgrade. This team is so much closer than they were a season ago, and the health of these top guys plays a big part in that. So I'm excited for this Panthers game. I hope you guys are listening to this. This is a late Friday night recording. I hope y'all are listening to this on your way to that Florida Panthers game. To get me back in the podcast groove and to start off 2024, 
where my New Year's resolution is to uh, bring this podcast back up to the consistency it was at when JJ was still here. And part of that is going to be going back to the basics. And part of the basics is closing out the show. We used to once close it out every single time when JJ was still here. And it's by saying, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you. Thank you.